From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for starting off your week with EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, we've still got a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he used to be every Monday, and now is occasionally on Monday, filling in today for Father John Tregilio. Um, Father John has a clause in his contract that we can only replace him with another Italian. And so the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend... The president of the Bible Christian Society, Mr. John Martinoni, is with us. And it's good to be back. It's good to have you back. Well, um, I appreciate that. So and yeah, Father Trigilio and I worked out a thing, to, so he <laughs> put that clause Pizons, in his contract. Yeah, yes. The Paisan clause, we call it. Um, we got a, a Catherine who's watching us on YouTube, and she asked, If the gates of heaven were closed after Adam's sin, how did Elijah get into heaven in Second Kings? Well, there is, uh, you know, depending on who you read, uh, different opinions as to exactly what that means that Elijah was taken. Well, let me read read 2 Kings 2.11 first. And as they st- still went on, this is Elijah and Elisha, uh, or Elisha, uh, as they still went on and talked, behold, a chariot, of hor- a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So, like I said, the, the gates of heaven are closed until Jesus' death and resurrection. So how did Elijah go up into heaven? Well, it's, it's thought that by some that he went into what's called in the New Testament the bosom of Abraham, which is a place of you're, you're not beholding the beatific vision, but it's a place kind of like the anteroom of, of heaven, you know, or, or one of the, in the Hebrews would say an outer room of Sheol, where there's no suffering, no, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth or anything like that, but you're not in the direct presence of God. Um, and, and other people say, well, you know, he went up body and soul, so he's got this body and so the body would have to be someplace as, uh, you know, at that time in heaven, there were only, well, except maybe for Enoch, uh, only souls and spirits. So um, spirits, rather, angels and, and, and 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit in their divine nature. So it's it, we're not really sure the church doesn't rule one way dogmatically or doctrinally, you know, exactly what is meant by uh, Elijah being taken up into heaven. But again, most most of the people I've seen, the writers, old, older writers, newer writers, say it, it's essentially the the bosom of Abraham, where there's no suffering, but he's not yet beholding the beatific vision. You know, they say that uh, that English is the most difficult language to learn for non-native speakers. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that we've got a word for everything. Yeah. And, it's, and, and that's not necessarily the case, especially with these ancient Semitic languages, which I'm sure makes scriptural apologetics challenging <laughs> yes indeed uh but you know when when it to translate to heaven sometimes is just the best we can do right yes yes and, and it's just uh you know you do the best you can given the parameters laid down by the doctrinal teachings of the church and go from there and so uh again it's it's the gates of heaven i mean i mean the uh, the bosom of abraham is probably where he was but what i can tell you is that on the last day at the resurrection of the dead you're gonna know which one it was was it the real heaven yeah and and the other thing is is god can make exceptions so if god wanted to let elijah into heaven and behold be beholding the beatific vision he certainly had the the power and the authority to do that as well Jamie wants to know what it means in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when St. Paul says, I became all things to all people. Well, basically what Paul is doing, he, he writes elsewhere in there that, you know, he tells, um, I can't remember which letter it was, but he tells the people he's writing to, he said, you know, you have the the right to eat meat, uh, you know, and meat sacrifice to idols as long as you weren't the ones that did it and you don't think anything of it and all all that but if that would offend someone that you're dining with or or a non-believer and you're trying to get them to consider conversion you know you don't want to offend them so don't eat the meat uh or if you're you know somebody who's let's say that's today let's say you're going to eat at a with out to eat with some friends who are Baptist. Well, as a Catholic, you certainly have the right to order a beer. But if that would offend the sensibilities of the Baptist, then don't do it. So you you be Baptist with the Baptist. You you be Lutheran with the Lutheran, uh, so forth and so on. Now, obviously not adopting their their belief systems, but behaving in a manner that is in accord with their standard practices and behaviors and their norms and mores so that you do not offend them because you don't want to offend them if you're trying to get them to consider what you believe and why you believe it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Ron writes in, can you respond to the accusation that the Mass, being a quote-unquote unbloody sacrifice, is not effectual for sin since the Bible says in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin? Well, there was the shedding of blood, 
And it's the same sacrifice uh, as the sacrifice on the cross. Although, again, Jesus isn't being re-sacrificed. It's his sacrifice is being represented. So it's the same sacrifice, uh, but he is not being sacrificed once more. It's not, you know, every mass that every day around the, in every church around the world, Jesus isn't being sacrificed hundreds of thousands or even millions of times each year. He was sacrificed once, and we are representing that eternal, that once for all, once for all time, once for all people, sacrifice to God the Father. You know, it says uh, in Hebrews also, if I can get it real quick here, I think it's Hebrews 7, maybe verse 2 or something, talks about that uh, he, he, Jesus, is, Jesus is continually interceding for us. Well, how's he doing that? He's doing it by offering his sacrifice on the cross. It's just, you know, uh, when I go to confession, I, I have a picture at times that, you know, when the priest absolves my sins in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, I'm thinking the father's up there in heaven going, you know, John, he's pretty worthless. Uh, you know, why, why should I forgive John's sins? And Jesus is sitting right there at his right hand. He says, well, father, you should forgive John's sins because, you know, number one, John's repentant. He's repenting of his sins. He's amending, trying to amend his ways. But look, Father, look at what I did for him. And so Jesus and, and the Father being in the eternal present in heaven, Jesus points to his sacrifice on the cross. He says, that's what I did for John. So go ahead, forgive him his sins because of this sacrifice that I made on his behalf and on all men and women's behalf. So, yes, it's not a bloody sacrifice in the sense that he's sacrificed over and over, but it was a bloody sacrifice that day on the cross, which lives in eternity. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Amanda in Omaha, Paul in Detroit, and we've got plenty of time for your calls on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line with guest host John Martinoni. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, Church Pop takes a fresh and fun look at the news shaping our world, featuring engaging, inspiring, and informative Catholic social media content. You can find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and Instagram, and on the web at churchpop.com. And you can get Church Pop directly to your email inbox. I get an email from them on occasion. Visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 
833-288-3986. First up today is Amanda, a first-time caller in Omaha, Nebraska, one of the treasures of the heartland. I've never uh, been to Omaha. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, buddy, I'm telling you right now, you know, we spent 12 years in uh, Des Moines. Yeah. Omaha is a hidden treasure. Yeah. It is, I'm telling you. Omaha is a cosmopolitan place. It is. They've got it going on in Omaha. And she's listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Amanda, you're on with John Martinoni. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Sure. Um, so in Omaha, um, Thursday was the um, Holy Day of Obligation, the Ascension. Um, <clears throat> the problem that my husband and I ran into is um, that we were planning a trip outside of our diocese, and we were going to go to an Ascension Mass on Sunday. Uh, did we need to go on Thursday as well, because we were there in, at that time? Or could we have, since we were planning on going to another diocese, did that count as well? Wow. That's a, it's a bit of a sticky wicket there, eh? Um, I, you know, first thing I would recommend is that you go to your priest— and you ask him that question because I personally I would think if you're there in the diocesan within the diocesan boundaries on the day that the bishop there says this is a holy day of obligation then you should indeed attend the mass but as you're pointing out well but the in another diocese they didn't have Thursday as a holy day of obligation they moved the 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 feast day, the the celebration of the ascension to that Sunday, so we did have the celebration of the ascension. So that's that's a uh, hmm, that's a bit of I would say a, a canon law issue. Yeah, maybe, it that, is. A, it, yeah. Uh, well, I don't. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I'm not entirely sure there. But you know, I, yeah, my way of doing things though is I'm always be safe rather than sorry. So in my. Uh, I would have gone to Mass on that Thursday. However, again, you should probably go to your priest and explain the situation to him and say, okay, what's going on here? You know, we didn't miss it because, oh, it's a holy day of obligation on Thursday and we don't want to go because it's on a Thursday. It's no, we're going and we're going to be celebrating the the, uh, Ascension on Sunday in another diocese. So, um yeah, talk to him, get it straightened out, and, and, and see what he, he advises you on that issue, okay? Yeah, it doesn't sound like your motivation was to, you know, be right. sideways with the diocese. Now, I will say this, Amanda, I know you said you'd planned a trip and you were going to be at uh, Mass on Sunday where it's the overwhelming majority of the prelates in the United States have moved to the, the Holy Day too. But in defense of the Archbishop, I will say that if I'm not mistaken, it has been that way for quite a while in Omaha. Um, and I yeah, think, I would imagine so. I think that that, that has, ha- and I think even Archbishop Lucas' predecessor, Archbishop Curtis, had the same situation. So I think that that's probably been the way it's been done in Omaha. Good job out of them, quite frankly. Yes, in Omaha. Uh, yeah, I missed yeah. Ascension Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. You know, like, Just, let's make it on Thursday. Now, are you even more confused than you were before you called, Amanda? I mean, I, I agree, you know, the more mass, the better. I couldn't have gone wrong by attending both. It was just kind of like deja vu when we went 
we were in Kansas City and we went to a Church of the Ascension, and so it was their feast day too, and it was a big celebration. It was lovely. Um, and I was like, these are the same readings. What are we doing? <laughs> so it was, I, I, we just went twice. I just wondered if we needed to. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I would say better safe than sorry. And, and if you have a question like, if this ever comes up again, um, then I would go right now before it ever happens again and, and go to the priest and say, all right, this is the situation. But uh, So you, yeah. did, you did go on Thursday, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, and, yeah, and so you're 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 covered either way. But also, the other thing to keep in mind also is that if you had never left Omaha, Sunday is still a holy day of obligation. Even if you went on Thursday, and even if Thursday is a holy day, that doesn't get you out of Sunday. Right. So, but I, I would say, you know, and, and this is a I've never heard this question before, so I'm glad you called. But because uh, I'll have to do a little research and and figure, I'll have to talk to a canon lawyer and say what. But I would think it's better to because if you say, well, I'm going to miss Thursday on purpose because I know I'm going to be at a church on another diocese celebrating the Ascension on Sunday, I think that starts, that could potentially take you down a, a road you don't want to go as well. It, it, you start, you're, you're leaving up the, um, you would in that sense, if you didn't go on Thursday, be leaving the decision in your hands rather than in the bishop or archbishop's hands. And, and I think that's where you could possibly get into some spiritual issues that you don't want to get into. So, Are you the girl in school that found all the shortcuts in math class, Amanda? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have to say I was not great at math, and I, I certainly um, uh, requested lots of tutoring. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thanks so much for the phone call. We really appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next stop is Columbia, Missouri. Al is listening on Covenant Radio. Al, thanks for holding your on with John Martinoni. Hey, John, good to hear your voice again on the radio. Well, appreciate that, Al. Hey, a uh, question is about the Ascension, and the Gospel reading on Sunday says the 11 disciples went to Galilee, and then Jesus gave them the Great Commission. But when we were in Israel, we were told in Jerusalem that he ascended from near the Mount of Olives. So I'm confused. Hmm. Well, this one, it, wow, two in a row. It's like, what the <laughs> heck is going on here? Um, you know, not having been to Israel and Father, been... Father Trujillo is somewhere laughing right now. Yeah, he's like, oh, goodness, he's wiping sweat off his brow. Uh so I've never been on a, a to Israel. So I've never been on a tour and never heard that because I've I'm always just going with the gospel. It's it's uh, uh, they went to Galilee because uh, you know it says that in in John and and where else? I guess pretty much all of them don't they say Galilee. So um, but the Mount of now let me ask you this: Who was the tour guide? Was it the tour guide or was there a priest or something? The, on the tour with you that said he ascended from uh, the Mount of Olives? Well, we were actually in a spot where they said this was Jesus's footprint in the ground, in the rock, where he stepped off of earth into, into heaven and ascended, and it was in Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives, and we were with dynamic Catholic tours. So I believed them. Huh. 
Well, I have. This is again first I've heard of it, so I'll have to go and do some research on that. But uh, um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm afraid I'm not going to be. I'll tell you what, though, is Father Mitch in tomorrow? Uh, Father Mitch is in. He's in on Wednesday. Wednesday. Father I mean, Wade yeah, is in yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. So Wednesday, I would call back on Wednesday. Father Mitch has been over there. I couldn't tell you how many times. And so, if anyone uh, on the radio yeah. here can answer that question, and it will be Father yeah. Mitch. And also, um, Al, if you if you're going to listen to the rest of the program today, I would encourage that you do that if you weren't planning on doing it, because we are efforting even as we speak to get Steve Ray on the phone to see if we can't maybe get an answer from oh, yeah. him, who is a prolific guide in oh, the yeah. Middle East. Steve Ray's place. been there. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't tell you how many times. Yeah. All right, Al. Thank you. We're working on it, buddy. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Steve Ray, if you're listening, give us a call. Otherwise, we're going to call you. 833-288-3986. Um here you go norman wants to know john as you've got your handy sword uh next to you how does the catholic church interpret ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 ephesians 4 come on without these tabs it's in the uh, new testament yeah oh that way okay (laughs) ephesians 4 what were the verses Uh, 11 and 12? 12 And his gifts were that some should be apostles, uh, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. When he ascended on high, so Jesus basically is saying that uh, different parts of the body of Christ have different gifts. Some are apostles. Apostles are general, you know, they were the original 12 and then Matthias taking Judas's place to to still remain the 12 uh, and then Paul was an apostle and and so forth so you had the apostles there in the first century and now the bishops are the uh, office holders for they, they hold the offices that the apostles held they, the apostles being bishops then uh, it talks about uh, some are prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. I personally, I'm a teacher. I guess I could qualify as an evangelist. Uh, probably uh, anybody on the radio here at EWTN or television could qualify in one sh- way, shape, or form as an evangelist and, and teacher. Prophets, uh, we don't really have prophets the same way they did in the Old Testament era, but there are still pe- people who are prophets, you know, uh, I would suggest the network was founded by one. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. That's excellent point. Um, Mother Angelica. So, uh, so, but prophets do exist. Um, Paul the Sixth. You know, he was. I would well, say. Funny, he, the end of Humanae Vitae. Humanae Vitae. <laughs> that, that's prophecy. You know, at its finest. I hope he's a prophet, or something else is going on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the way the church in, interprets that is simply that every person 
is given gifts by God that they can use in some way, shape, or form, great or small, to build up the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ works all together using their particular gifts, then it is a glorious thing to behold. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with John Martinoni. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Stuart is a first-time caller in the great state of Oklahoma, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Stuart, you're on with John Martinoni. Well, thank you. I had a, a question about, in the book, St. Matthew, chapter 8, verse 29, the footnotes reference the book of Enoch, with the chapter and verse and the book of Jubilees with the chapter and verse. Are, are those separate writings that the Church approves, or where do they get that? Those would be apocryphal writings, uh, you know, writings from, I would say, Jew- Israelite writings, but possibly Jewish writings uh, from before Christ that the Church does not consider inspired, inerrant Scripture— Although they are books that uh, potentially contain uh, historical matter or, or other matters that, that you could potentially learn from, but nothing of a doctrinal or dogmatic nature, or again, that, that this is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Okay? Easy enough. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said that was easy enough. Yeah, yeah. So so not anything that uh, Catholics would ever consider Scripture, but uh, things that, well, maybe you could learn some interesting information from. And, and uh, But, yeah, not, not anything that you, you have to worry yourself. Hey, am I missing a book of the Bible in my Bible? Or nothing along those lines. God bless you, Stuart. Thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-3986. That's 833-288-EWTN. We will stop at no lengths to get answers to our caller's questions. And we have found Jerusalem Jones himself, Steve Ray, wandering aimlessly around the streets of Ann Arbor, (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he is going to Steve. It's 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 Jack Williams here with John Martinoni. It's great to talk to you outside of an airport. Hey, that's great, Jack, and I love uh, John. I just think he's a great guy, and I'm glad to be on a show with him. And I I'm I'm walking around Ann Arbor, but you can better say I'm hobbling because I just had both of my knees replaced. But I'm getting better. I'm getting better soon. But boy, if you don't have to do it, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I do one at a time, maybe. How about that? But anyway, so Steve, we had a caller who called in who was wanting to know about the seeming contradiction between the notion that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives and the scriptural account that said he was in Galilee. Well, the fact is, is that it's it's. Um a lot of people think it was in Galilee, but it was very clearly in Jerusalem after uh, he was 40 days appearing to them and giving great proofs of his uh, resurrection. In Acts chapter 112, it says, after the ascension, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. The, the, the um, ascension took place, very simply, on the Mount of Olives, which was just, if you're in Jerusalem and you went out the Golden Gate and you went down through the Kidron Valley, and I've been there over 200 times, I mean, I could just see this like my own backyard. So if you went out of the Golden Gate, you went down into the Kidron Valley, you went up onto the Gethsemane, you'd pass that to the top of the Mount of Olives. On the top of the Mount of Olives, there's a church there called Potter Noster. It means where Jesus taught them to pray the Our Father. But it's also, from the very earliest centuries, been known as the place where Jesus ascended into heaven. So it's, and, and from there, you can look back across and you can see Jerusalem. It's just very close. And that's the place where he was ascended, uh, ascended into heaven. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, it says that Jesus told them to meet him at a mountain in Galilee. And that's where he gave the Great Commission, go out into all the world and baptize people, you know, making disciples, and the law will be with you always until the end of the age. That took place on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, which is called Mount Tabor, because it's the only mountain in, in uh, Galilee. And that's where he, you know, Jesus loved a great backdrop. So he said, go out into all the world as he's up on top of this mountain. You could see almost all of Israel from there. And I could just see him waving his arms saying, go out into all the world, and you go that way, and you go that way, and teach the gospel everywhere. But that's where he met them. He also met them at the Sea of Galilee. Remember, he fed them fish and loaves at John chapter 21? Right. But then they came back to Jerusalem. And back at Jerusalem, he met them in the upper room. Thomas put his finger in his hand and a hand in his side, said, you are my Lord and my God. And then he said, meet me at the mountain, Mount of Olives. They went up there, and that's where he was ascended into heaven. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, we appreciate you clearing that up for us. I put a blog up yesterday, in fact. If you want to check it out, it's on my website, catholicconvert.com. Did Jesus ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives or from Bethany? I put a map and everything up there on catholicconvert.com. There you John, go. Keep, keep up the good work, John. I love your emails. I love your radio shows. God bless you all at EWTN. I love you guys. Thank you so much, Steve. God bless you, Steve. Thanks so much. And we will have all of our listeners praying for your speedy recovery. Yes. That's Steve Ray, Jerusalem Jones himself, clearing up a uh, earlier call for us. We spare no expense. We will go the hey. extra mile to get that uh, answer for our listeners. If you'd like to be one of those callers, Pick up the phone and dial 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. David wants to know, what does it mean in 1 John when Jesus says there is sin? Well, John actually says this. uh, There is sin which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray for that. Okay, yeah, let me get the... uh exact chapter five passage here five sixteen and seventeen it's um if anyone sees his brother committing what is not a mortal sin or some translations say deadly sin he will ask and and we would call it if, if it's not a mortal sin we would call it a venial sin he will ask and god will give him life for those whose sin is not mortal there is sin which is mortal i do not say that one is to pray for that all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal. So first point I want to make is you will hear many times Protestants, especially the vast majority of them who believe in salvation by faith alone, they say sin is sin. 
There is no, there are no gradations in sin. It, it's, it's sin. So, you know, a 10 year old stealing a pack of gum going through the grocery line with his mom is the same as Adolf Hitler killing 6 million people. It, sin is sin. You know, so no, the Bible says otherwise. So there is sin which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray for that. You are to pray for people to repent of their sins. Okay. However, that person, there are, there are things that can be done that, that you can do on your behalf and that others can do, people who have committed the sins, they can do to be have their sins forgiven without necessarily going to confession. For example, um, uh, at to, through, to the sacrament of confession, at the Mass, when you have, you know, the uh how's it how's the prayer start uh uh mea culpa mea culpa mea maxima um, the, uh, the, the uh, uh confidior yes the confidior thank you and then you receive the eucharist well if you have venial sins those those are essentially forgiven at the mass but with a mortal sin you can't do that with a mortal sin number one don't you dare receive the eucharist number two you have to go to confession so that is the one and only way to have mortal sin forgiven is that you have repented of it, you have uh, decided I'm not going to do that again by the grace of God, and you go to the priest and repent of your sin, and he gives you your penance, and you do your penance. So it's just uh, it's it, there's nothing that oh well I'm going to pray for Jim, uh, you know it's not telling you not to pray for someone who's in a state of mortal sin. What it's saying is your prayers cannot do anything to affect the forgiveness of that sin in and of themselves. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. We still have time for your calls and a couple of open phone lines. Jeff Burson, magnificent person, our social media maven, has alerted us to the fact that Steve Ray will be on the second hour of Catholic Answers Live today. Check it out right here on EWTN Radio. That'll be 6 p.m. The second hour. 6 p.m. Central. 6 p.m. Central Time. Yeah, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Correct. There we go. Um Be sure to check out Fire on Earth Monday through Friday morning, 5.15 a.m. Eastern Time. If you're up anyway, check it out. Peter Herbeck will get you raring to go on your day. That's Fire on Earth Monday through Friday morning, 5.15 Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Um, Tate would like to know, how would you, John Martinoni, explain the passage in 1 Corinthians that says bishops ought to be married? Okay. Yes, this is one I actually just in a in, in in a current dialogue with a Protestant who brought that up said the Catholic Church can't be the Church of the first century because uh, it says in First Corinthians it says that uh, bishops should be married or First Timothy um, and it says what it doesn't say bishops should be married. That's the thing. It says the bishop should have no more than one wife. Okay? Huge distinct, huge difference there. Because John, the Apostle John, was a bishop. Guess what? 
As far as we know, he wasn't married. Uh, Paul was a bishop. He was an apostle. The office of the apostles was the office of the bishop. Paul was an apostle. He was not married. In fact, he recommended people not be married to, in order to serve the Lord with their entire, uh, with all they have, with their entire lives. Whereas the married man is divided; he has divided interest between his wife and God, and and family and God. Uh, so, uh, yes, the instruction is the bishop should be the husband of no more than one wife. Doesn't say he has to be married. What it's saying is. If he's been married and divorced and remarried, no. If he's been married and widowed and remarried, no. Cannot be the bishop. He has to have been the bishop of no more than one wife. So it's not he has to be the bishop of, or he has to be the husband of a wife, has to have a wife. It's he can't have had more than one wife. But zero is less than one, so that qualifies so it's not saying the bishops have to be married because we have examples from the scriptures where the bishops were not married the apostles some of the apostles were not married and and we're pretty sure about john probably some of the others as well but we're absolutely sure about paul dave wants to know how do we talk to protestants who don't believe in papal infallibility how to talk to Protestants who don't believe in papal infallibility, which is pretty much every Protestant that's out there. So what is going on here is that Protestants deny that any man on earth other than Jesus could be infallible. They say that a couple of reasons they say that. Number one, they have a misunderstanding of what Catholics mean when we say the Pope is infallible. A lot of Protestants interpret that to mean that the Pope can't commit any sin. Well, the word for not being able to commit sin or not committing sin is impeccable. He's, he's, uh, the Pope can commit sin. So there's the misunderstanding there. So when you first thing you do is you ask the Protestant, do you understand what Catholics mean when we say the Pope is infallible? And make sure they understand that it means that what we're teaching is the Pope, when he teaches as the head of the church to the entire church on doctrine and morals, cannot teach error. The Holy Spirit prevents him from teaching error to the body of Christ as the head of the church. That's what infallibility means. It's a very narrow charism um it's it's called a negative charism doesn't mean the pope will teach the right thing he he might say stay silent what it means is he will not be allowed by the holy spirit to teach the wrong thing so once you get that down then you can say okay well let me ask you mr protestant uh, baptist evangelical non-denominational if you don't have anyone in your church, in your denomination, who is infallible, who can infallibly decide on a matter of faith and morals, then how can you be sure that 
you have the right teachings when it comes to faith and morals. You know, all the best you can do is say, we think that our interpretation of Scripture, because they get their, their faith and morals from Scripture, so they say, we think our interpretations of Scripture are good enough to where we will, we will gamble our immortal souls, the destination of our immortal souls, on the fact that we think we got this or that interpretation of Scripture correct. We, we believe it's made 90, 95% right that we got it correct. We can't say 100% because we're fallible. So if they don't have anybody infallible, any institution, any person, any group of persons that are infallible in deciding on faith and morals in their church or denomination, then they have no assurance that anything they believe, any given doctrine or dogma is true. And to me, when you're thinking about, well, the fate of my eternal soul depends on this, on me knowing the truth. Jesus says, know the truth and the truth will make you free. And he said he came to witness to the truth. And he said that I am the truth. Truth is very important. And if you don't have a sure way of knowing the truth, then I, I would have a lot of sleepless nights. So that's, that's what I would throw out to your, your Protestant friend, co-worker, whoever it is you're talking to about the infallibility of the Pope. All it is is Jesus has given us a sure means by which we can know what is true and what is false when it comes to doctrine and morals. Not when it comes to math or biology or psychiatry or economics or politics or anything like that, but faith and morals, those things that are essential for us to know in order for us to be saved. God says, you know, he wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a connection between truth and salvation, and we have to have a sure way to know the truth. And that sure way is the gift of infallibility that God has given the Catholic Church. Congratulations go out to another member of the EWTN Radio Family Corps Christie Academy in Wenatchee, Washington, is celebrating their ninth year as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to John Haberman and the whole crew at KEFA and KJHS radio stations from your friends right here at EWTN Radio. Still time for your calls. If you call us right now, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 288 3986. Summer writes in, I've been told that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 proves that salvation cannot be lost. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you, it is a gift of God. How do you respond to that? Yes, uh, whenever I'm talking to a Protestant on the issue of salvation, and salvation by faith alone, and, and sometimes this... Uh, um, issue or, or this um, teaching of once saved, always saved, which is salvation can't be lost. Almost always the first place they go is Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Well, the Catholic agrees 100% with these two verses. In fact, I mean, the Catholic agrees 100% with every single verse of the Bible, Old Testament and New. But let's go through this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Absolutely. Someone will not come to God as, as an adult unless they have faith. I mean, why, why would you do anything in, in the Catholic Church? We believe you're, the grace that is being talked about here is received through baptism, saving grace through baptism. No one would be baptized as an adult once, or anyone who's reached the age of reason unless they had faith in God. You know, it's, oh, go around baptizing people and you don't believe in God. Why would you get baptized? So, yes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So you have faith, you get baptized, you receive the grace. You're saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works. Absolutely. The Council of Trent in particular talks about this, how nothing you do before the moment you are saved through baptism can save you of your own accord. No works, not your own faith. Nothing you do of your own saves you. Once you've been baptized and you receive that grace of God, that saving grace of God, then when you have faith and works, what that does is that enables you to keep from losing your salvation. There is nothing in Ephesians 2 verse 8 that talks that says you cannot lose your salvation. And especially if you go on to verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, guess what? What if you don't walk in those good works that God has prepared specifically for you beforehand? In other words, what if you refuse to do the will of God by doing those works he's prepared for you? And these, this set of works is different for everybody based on your, your talents and abilities, your situation in life, etc. If you refuse to do the will of God and don't do those works... Well, in Matthew 7, verses 20, 21, it tells us he who does the will of God gets into heaven. He who does not do the will of God does not get into heaven. So again, if you read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it is exactly what the Catholic Church teaches on salvation. There is nothing in there that says salvation by faith alone. And there is nothing in there that says salvation, once you've been saved, you cannot lose that salvation. You cannot lose your your standing, your saved standing before God. There's nothing like that in any of those verses there in Ephesians, or or any any verse really in Scripture. Um, Scott writes in, I was having a discussion with an Anglican friend. He asked if Marian devotion was necessary for salvation. How do I reply? Well, if you know that the church teaches the the dogmas on Mary, you know, the uh, um, the perpetual virginity of Mary and and the immaculate conception, the assumption, so forth, and you know these things and you say, Well, but that's Mary, I'm not gonna I'm gonna focus on Jesus. 
Well, then, yes, in that instance, you have de- essentially denied church teaching. You've, you've gone against the authority of the church in this instance, and that is grave sin, uh, mortal sin, if you, again, if you do it with full intellect and full consent of your own will. And so in that sense, yes, it is necessary. Now, if you're someone outside of the church and you're not aware of these doctrines, these dogmas on Mary, you're not aware of the church teaching on Mary and the high position that that the church holds Mary in because the high position Jesus holds Mary in, then, uh, you know, let's just say you're responsible for what you know. And you're not responsible for what you don't know. So I, in the normal sense, yes, devotion to Mary is necessary for salvation through the ordinary means of salvation through the church. If there's some extraordinary means of salvation, which the church holds out that's possible, and you can be saved outside of the church— and maybe you've heard of God, but you haven't heard of Jesus, or maybe you've heard of Jesus, but you know nothing about his mother. Again, God, it's possible for God to save whomever it pleases him to save. But uh, um, if you do know about it and refuse to do it, then yes, there is an issue there for you. You know, it's interesting as I'm looking at the question, it occurred to me, you know, it says, is Marian devotion necessary for salvation? Well, Mary is necessary for yes, salvation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, salvation came into the world through Mary. You know, so so God, uh, you know, and, and Jesus gave some measure of devotion to his mother. God gave her the highest honor you could possibly give her by allowing her to be the mother of his son. So, uh, yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, where can they find more of what you do? BibleChristianSociety.com BibleChristianSociety.com Number of free audios on there 28, 29 Number of free written materials On apologetics and evangelization BibleChristianSociety.com On behalf of our host John Martinoni Our producer Michael McCall Call screener Matt Kubensky And our social media maven Mr. Jeff Burson I'm Jack Williams Thanks so much for tuning in Back at it tomorrow With Father Wade Menezes Talking faith family, and fellowship. Until we get together on Open Line Tuesday, God bless.